When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello and Happy New Year. So, well, let's take a deep breath. Six game weeks with a variety of highs, lows and gut punches over the December festive period have today come to an end. With yet another gut punch as Liverpool lost 1-0 Southampton uh, and FPLers and FPL content creators indeed everywhere um, are now looking forward to a week off without any Premier League football. Today though, we're continuing with our relentless drive towards the future to pick over the events just around the corner. Unfortunately, there's no Anthony today due to sudden work commitments, but instead to help us out and to kick off uh, 2021's podcasting in a strong fashion, we thought we'd do something a little bit different and give a relative unknown a chance. Accordingly, we've got a niche pundit. His name's Mark Northern. Sorry, sorry, Mark Southerns. He joins us today. Uh, Welcome, Mark. How are you doing? Hello there. Yeah, thanks for the oxygen. Thanks for the exposure. It's much needed. Um, but yes, yes. Um, thanks for having me on in this rather historic game week for me, because I think I've probably just had one of my worst ever in FBL history. But um, I can't confirm whether I have or not, but it feels like it's one of my worst ever um, extraordinary game week. But um, yeah, I'm OK. I'm still in good spirits regardless. So it's all good. Hi, Mark. Fantastic to have you on the pod this week. It's been a real pleasure having followed your content for a number of years now. We are, of course, who got the assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL or at WGTA underscore Nick or for the absence stag at FPL stag. And of course, if you don't follow Mark for some bizarre reason, you can follow him as well at FFS scouts underscore Mark. And if you want to join our mini league, the code is CPSULF. Yep. Uh, so on today's pod, we will be doing, uh, well, I guess the focus on the blank game week, praying, of course, it doesn't get called off, but doesn't look like it's going to be. And that step, we'll be looking at our strategies and perhaps zeroing in on individual players as well. There is correspondence this week, despite Anthony squealing and um, being absent. And that will be on contextualising information. And then we've got our Q&A, of course. Uh, but first up, it's the game week reviews. And as Mark has just mentioned, it has been oh, quite a quite a tough one for you, hasn't it, Mark? Um, if you wouldn't mind just uh, letting us in a little bit on, on what happened. Yeah, I haven't even looked at my um, current score. I, I have fluked, as Granville would say, to Suchek. Uh, off the bench for his 11 points and uh, thank goodness I have that was because Wood and uh, Wood didn't turn up because of Burnley's postponement um, Johnston comes in for Pope as well so I get 13 additional points to add to the, the mammoth total of 27 that I've already got so I, I end, end the game week on 40 which um, is pretty dreadful in a game week where some people are getting getting towards three figures um, that's the hardest thing it's, it's a bad one for me but everybody else has, has turned really big scores so one of those things, I, I do look at it and think I made an error. I, I think that I was looking at Mane out to Son to cover Son for the Leeds game. Uh, I, that went to the wire with my transfer. I should have done that. And instead of that, I made a kind of a cover move for my double game week. Uh, I, I took out Reese James and brought in James Justin just to get more, reinforce my double game week and my bench boost a bit. And that was a bad move. I should have gone Mane yeah. to Son. Yeah, I mean... 
managed to some was obvious. Uh, I didn't want to do it because of the maybe because of the ownership. It maybe felt like a defensive move rather than an aggressive one. But it, you know, I, I it, it would have made sense. It would have saved me to some extent uh, from a big rank drop. But it wouldn't save me that much. I mean, that would have got me twenty or extra points, which would have helped. But it still would have been a pretty poor game week, even with Son's points. I think. You do get them every now and again, don't you? And I can, can see exactly why you'd have uh, maybe bolted at the re, at the kind of defensive move because it just doesn't feel as exciting, does it? Or at least doesn't. It feels like you're kind of doing something kind of quite short term, whereas you can see the long term sort of goals. And I'm sure that kind of does catch every FL manager now and again. Amazing to see even the goat can get uh, caught up in those sorts of things. I, I think sometimes though, when when you make when you know you can you've made a mistake, which I feel like I have, um, it kind of helps in a way because you mm. kind of got some logic behind it. You think, okay, well, that was my fault. I I was in control of that and I made the wrong call. And I think I had some bad luck on top of that as well. And that's often a way a bad game week in FBL can can often be a bad decision and then some bad luck layered on top of that. And when you get those two combined, you get a score like I've got here and a rank drop like I've got here. So uh, it's fine. You know, I'll take it. It's a good time to do it because we've got the free hit next and then we've got the double game week. So it's going to be something which is easily forgotten uh, with those two game weeks to come because they're going to be pretty you know, transforming game weeks, I think, in our season, those two. Exactly. Exciting times ahead. Um, talking bad decisions, I also did one this week. I removed Kevin De Bruyne. Um, I sold him for Rafinha. Um, I did that just before the announcement uh, for the Manchester double game week, um, just because I was on 0.0 to do a different move, which was all planned, similar to you bringing in James Justin and also bringing in Vardy and having sort of a double game week as galore uh, for two weeks' time. Um, as it did work out, Dirk Kevin De Bruyne the next day that I sold him was confirmed as having a double game week, um, which was a bit annoying having sold uh, for 14 points, I think it was, um, having shipped that out. Um, but overall this week, I did all right, 69 minus four, Son captain obviously did the business. Uh, Fernandez, uh, Vardy got an assist, but the big one, and it is just, uh, it, it sometimes is, uh, I guess underlines the fine margins you get in FPL between a bad game week and a good one. Uh, this week, my star was Rob Holding, who I brought in for uh, for Charlie Taylor, who was injured, and he got ten points from an absolute. BS assist basically he passed it to Kieran Tierney on the halfway line, who then proceeded to tear up the pitch and score a magnificent solo goal. Um, and to be honest, those 10 points probably have earned me the green arrow. Um, so I'm up to about 600, and, you know, I think, no, actually, no, 790k or something like that, up to the thousands of people seemingly have got Suchek off the bench. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think um, similar to Mark, I'm in a position now where I've, I've made a mistake in selling KDB or shipping out Man City cover in any way, shape or form. Which, and I'm looking to kind of rectify that going forward. And obviously a bit disappointing tonight with Robertson and uh, Salah. Um, I needed 17 points from them to go through in the cup. I got three. Um, so my the casual team that I'm playing against who have made a transfer um, for a very, very long time have beaten me. Um, bye. 14 points which is a bit depressing anyway uh nick as usual you've come out on top how have you done yeah it was a really good game week actually after <laughs> a couple of shady ones so last week i did pretty poorly because i didn't have any of the uh, leads attack and i had kane and son and of course the fixture against fulham was cancelled so i had a big rank drop after that week but this week uh yeah got 75 points in total thanks mainly to son captaincy and uh, harry kane also having bruno fernandez who 
um, the main guys got me the points. And also my, my transfer in was a uh, Tyrick Mitchell for, for Jamal Lewis. So I uh, brought him in 3.9 million to try and save some money. And uh, yeah, he got me a, a cheeky clean sheet there. I was on 71 points ultimately by about four o'clock on Saturday. So um, already halfway there, I didn't have anyone play on Sunday, which kind of worked out all right with the, the clean sheets being wiped for a few people. And then Monday night, I was meant to have Adams and Robertson and Salah. Obviously that didn't really work out. Got Zuma off the bench for the one pointer. Walker Peters stayed as the uh, the third sub, so I didn't get his points unfortunately. But pretty happy with that uh, back up to about fifty five k overall rank. So yeah, it's going pretty well. Yeah, it's going well. I did check to see if you managed to shout KWP's points somehow. Um, I knew you had him, and I was convinced that you might have put him at first bench, and you may have somehow got his points off, but like you seem to every week. But no, for once, you didn't manage to pull points out of your posterior, but you still managed to beat me, um, which is, uh, of, of course, just how things tend to go. What about Mitchell, though, coming back as he I has know. at this time? And I mean, when you bought him, Nick, did you expect anything from? I guess you did because he played the previous game as well, didn't he? So, you well, yeah, that's that's the thing. He was he was named man of the match, I think, mm. in, um, by Crystal Palace fans in that last match, and there was a lot of like talk online about how he was going to be back in the team. And I was looking at someone I could just bring in um, to give me a little bit of extra cash in the bank, so I could do um, Zuma to Diaz the next week, and uh, Mitchell seemed to fit the bill above the likes of Stroy. I was looking at um, Eric Peters as well uh, for the Fulham game, but then I didn't fancy that one was going to go ahead so I decided to go with, uh, with Mitchell in the end just for this week and uh, the fixture because Sheffield United have been so dreadful and uh, yeah it kind of worked out. That was the most classic Nick transfer I think I've ever seen uh, transferring <laughs> between two cheapies and getting six points out of it. Uh, dear, Midas touched that man. Uh, staying with you Nick it's the market forces uh, kind of a concise update today so we've got a lot to talk about. Um, who are the moves and shakers um, off the back of that game week? A lot of action with the Arsenal players after a very good performance against West Brom. Likes of uh, Saka being heavily bought with 130,000 transfers in this week. And uh, Tierney as well, 120,000 transfers in at time of recording um, after getting that holy trinity of a goal, an assist and a clean sheet uh, for 18 points in total. So both those guys um, attracting a lot of attention, obviously, with um, that uh, that game coming up next week with a lot of other teams blanking. Also, it seems like Suchek and Cresswell also attracting a lot of transfers in. 120,000 for Suchek and 110,000 for Cresswell. I mean, it kind of makes sense because both players have been excellent so far this season. Cresswell's now notched up six assists to his name. He's on all the corners and you've got like some Bonner and Suchek getting on the end of those. But um, And Suchek, of course, uh, only five million at the start of the season. Looks like a massive bargain. Um, now has five goals and an assist to his name. But it seems a bit odd that they're being brought in this week. Can't really get my head around that, obviously, with the blank. Um, they've got an excellent double game with the following week, but not really sure on the logic and why people are bringing them in so early. Perhaps not looking at the fixtures, we don't know. Um, but otherwise, sales, it's all quite predictable, I think. It's teams um, and players that are heavily owned, but lots of blanks. So we've got the likes of uh, Calvert-Lewin um, being sold, 160,000 transfers out for him. Salah, 130,000 transfers out. Reese James is uh, injured. He's being heavily sold. And, and Zuma and Bamford as well. But uh, yeah, Calvert-Lewin, actually, he does have a game. But um, I guess a lot of people thinking he's, he's been in such poor form that there are better replacements for him. He's not scored since game week 11 now. So that's five weeks in a row which um, without a goal. I guess we're early on in the process, aren't we? But I'm surprised to not hear Kevin De Bruyne's name there. Um, I, I guess it was golden assist. And I guess it was his first open playing goal in a while. But Given these market forces and how they work, I'm surprised that people haven't thought, oh, Kevin De Bruyne, he's worth buying, especially, 
I guess maybe it'll be a reaction to tonight with Salah blanking. People will make that swap. And what do you think, Mark? Do you think that's likely to kind of come into force over the next couple yeah, of days? I, I think it's incredible, isn't it? Because a couple of weeks ago, we were all writing off De Bruyne as, well, he's the heavy hitter we've got to lose. And and similarly, everyone was going, well, if I'm not bench boosting in, in game week 19, I'm definitely triple captaining Salah. And now, you know, two games later, it's turned on its head completely. And everyone's going to be getting De Bruyne in, probably going to be captaining him and triple captaining De Bruyne. And Salah looks almost dispensable with the way Liverpool played again tonight. So yeah. it's it's so bizarre. Except it's, it's going to remind ourselves, it's only two weeks ago that Liverpool put seven past Palace and looked like an absolute <laughs> machine, didn't they? And- yeah, that was, the, um, that was the week I didn't own Mo Salah. So I was trying to get away with not owning him for that fixture. And I thought I'd got away with it because he didn't start, of course. And then in yeah. the 25 minutes, just absolutely destroyed me. So, uh, yeah, yeah I- you know, he's, he's always a danger to sell, isn't he? He is. And, and I watched that game thinking, right, OK, on the wild card, I'm going heavy on Liverpool because they're obviously, I mean, that was ruthless, absolutely clinical. And, you know, ever since they've really struggled to break teams down and get opportunities. And now, you know, my Salah and Mane double up looks pretty abject going into the double game week. Even. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's, a, it's, it's amazing how the fortunes of De Bruyne and Salah have just reversed in the space of, what, 14 days. Crazy. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, things are, I guess, changing so much. And now, um, to do my customary segue into the main topic, um, we are going to talk about what's next, uh, which is this sort of blank game week coming up. Uh, so the situation is, of course, that we have uh, six games of uh, Game Week 18, which are next Tuesday. And for a little while, there was a little worry about the fact that you know, Elite Sport may um, you know, see a bit of a pause or something like that. You have the likes of Sam Allardyce, probably disingenuously, um, with his mask uh, squarely around his chin, um, asking for Elite Sport to have a couple of weeks off. Um, obviously, the coronavirus numbers are rising. We acknowledge that and thoughts are with those effective. We're not going to go into that here but it looks like when the government's announced tonight that elite sport is going to continue um so we're going to kind of do this pod on the proviso that everything will go ahead as planned that week we'll go ahead with the six fixtures but usual caveats surrounding caution apply um so perhaps don't use your free hit if you are planning to use it until you're absolutely sure that those games are going to go ahead i.e maybe next monday or even next tuesday do your drafts in the app or on paper or something like that but maybe don't press confirm um unless you're you know in love with a 0.0 and you've got to do it um but i guess a good starting point here is what are we all doing i've got to just emphasize of course that this is a very team specific thing i think more than ever just because in past years we've had a little bit more kind of a heads up when things are going to happen we obviously knew the blank and double was coming a while ago but i guess we don't really quite have the idea of what teams are blanking and doubling um from a long way out and it really came down to how the chips fell for your team when that announcement came so hopefully we'll find some nuggets useful in what we're talking about tonight in terms of helping you with your strategy during the upcoming weeks um we had a few questions on this as well um so fpl swan and rahul um both asked kind of what's your minimum number of players you'd feel comfortable rolling with if you're not using the free hit and the FPL Morphis via Rishi says he's got six men you know Martinez, Son, Diaz, KDB, Stones and Bruno so nice sounding six for game week 18 is that enough? Uh, Nick I guess you're you're the guy because Mark and I I think are both committed to the free hit and um, wrestling with uh, perhaps preserving your free hit um, where are you on this at the moment? Yeah, so the scenario laid out by Morpheus Fire is kind of very similar to my own situation. Um, with the fixture rescheduling, I've now got six men in my current team that have a fixture. That's Martinez, Son, Kane, Bruno, Calvert-Lewin and Mitchell. And if I take a hit, I can get um, quite easily uh, Diaz and, and De Bruyne in and have them in place then for the double game week as well. 
because um, obviously they have the fixture in the next week and that would leave me with eight players and I'm looking at that and I'm actually thinking that could potentially be sufficient coverage because I'm you know what I'm looking at as well is who do I have FOMO with for next week? Who, who, who do I feel like I'm going to be missing out on if, if I don't free hit? And the names that are being thrown around a lot, um, it's like Lacazette. I'm, I'm not particularly worried about him. Same with um, Callum Wilson, Saka, Tierney, Chiran Clark, Harry Maguire, Phil Foden. Like, you know, none of these are like thinking these, these are the guys that I need to, to free hit to, to bring them in to, to fill those three extra slots, essentially. So ultimately... I'm kind of thinking I could potentially hold the free hit now because I'm looking at what's to come for the rest of the season. There's going to be a double game week in 26 and then a blank game week in 29. So I don't know, obviously, who's playing at this moment in time, but I'm thinking, you know, if I wild card, I could get a great team for that double game week in 26, bench boost then, and then free hit in the blank, you know, so I could get potentially 15 men, for instance, for that game week in 26. And that, that seems like a, you know, a reasonable strategy at this moment in time. I think there's going to be some short-term pain. I feel like I'm at least I'm in a comfortable position enough with my overall rank that I could take a little bit of short-term pain, maybe a drop or 50k or something like that. And then ultimately, it's all about your end of end of season position, isn't it? Because that's what's sort of seared in your rank history. Whether you finished or if you were 5k or 10k, no one really cares. It's about where you finish at a season close. So I'm thinking about going for the short-term pain and. Uh, and not free hitting, though I'm, I'm certainly not set in stone at the moment. With the players you mentioned there, you know, you've got eight players and you've got a lot of the big hitters that I would identify as, as essential. Like, I mean, I'm looking ahead at my free hit team. You've named quite a lot of them there. And I, and I think that, I mean, looking at the Morpheus Fire situation, he's, he's, he's named six players, Martinez, Son, Diaz, KDB, Stones and Bruno. Um, I, ju- I just ran that through a few projections before the show and that that kind of totaled 35.6 points on rate my team and then I ran my 11 through that I want to get and I got 59 so the difference is about 24 points it's not huge damage and I think what you described there Nick you'd probably come out or in around mid 40s so I probably only get like a 10 point advantage over you and you're right you know I'm looking at names like Lacazette and Wilson Neto maybe Rashford Maybe Rashford, you got a little bit of fear of. I don't know. At Burnley, that sounds like a kind of game you could get something. But, I, you know, there, there's no certainties here. What I will say is that, you know, looking forward to potentially free hitting in 29, you know, we don't know what the fixtures are going to be. But I think, you know, those fixtures are going to be based on progression in the FA Cup. And I've got a feeling that there'll be slim pickings in that game week for yeah. the free hit. And therefore, that it won't be difficult for those without the free hit to kind of put a team together, which is good enough. Whereas I think in this one, it's harder. Um, but I, th- I think if I was in your situation, I'd do exactly the same as you. I'd, I'd, I'd go with the eight players you've got because I don't think you're going to miss out by many points. I agree with that, Mark. Where Nick is is a probably is a very very good position to be in in terms of saving your free hit. I've also got eight players too, and people were saying to me, "Oh, you're fine, Tom. You know, just don't use a free hit. That's a waste of a chip." Um, Three of those players are Kilman, Lewis, and Brewster, and I also don't have any Man City players, um, so it's going to be a bit of a tough one if I don't use it. I think Nick's in a slightly stronger position than than I am. Um, I do completely agree with your point about game with twenty nine. Actually, I think that could be a bit of a, a bit of a hell zone um, by the looks of it. And 
you may be free hitting. Obviously, it's speculation at this point. We don't know who's going to progress in the FA Cup. But you may be free hitting and building a team of players from teams like Fulham and even Joe's beloved Brighton. Like, ouch! Do you really want players from those teams? Like, we can just cover the main men. Whereas this one, I think there is a bit more scope to have a bit more depth to your team and build a team of players who are one fairly exciting, you know, like the Rashford point, and we'll come on to a few of those players in a moment, and and two players who non-free hitters won't have an opportunity to get. Because um, outside of United and outside of City, um, I mean, are you going to be as interested in getting those guys in um, if there isn't double the, the very next week? Um, it's a very nice kind of chance to have a one-night stand with a quite a few quite exciting, risky players, which, which I which I always quite like. I, I, I like having that sort of opportunity. Um, but equally, I guess you know, in 29, when we do come to it, it may be the case that you know, the average is going to be so low. It may be if, if there are only kind of two or three kind of games going, and the average is six and you get 22 points just by players showing up and playing over 60 minutes, that you've got an automatic advantage of playing the free hit. So it's a very kind of difficult one to balance up. It's just the look of this kind of game week coming. There are kind of quite a few obvious teams with which to target uh, your transfers in terms of your free hits and how you build that team. It makes me think this week is actually quite a good one. But obviously I'm speaking from the perspective of someone who's committed to using it. So, and it may not be the case for you listening. So it's not always kind of you know, apples and apples as such. Um, let's move on then to targeting and kind of strategy in terms of how you build your, your kind of team here. And I guess we'll kind of cover both perspectives. So if you're free hitting, how do you build your team? Do you zag or do you bow to ownership? And you know, non-free hitters like it sounds like Nick is going to be. There's a few questions around this. So FPL Quinto, for example, asks uh, for non-free hitters, who do we go to to cover those key teams? And a really nice way of looking at this as well is looking at Kane and Son, because obviously those are players who are very, very highly owned and they're going to be owned by non-free hitters and perhaps free hitters alike. And it's a nice way of zeroing in on the dynamic of kind of zagging or bowing to ownership. FPL Physio, for example, asked, and a few players that we've mentioned already, should we play it safe with Son and Kane or look at alternatives like Rashford and Lacazette? I mean, Mark, uh, the dynamic between zagging and bowing, which one are you? You've got to get a bit of a balance. I mean, I, I've just kind of made a mistake in this game week by not going with ownership, not covering high-owned players. So I'm very cautious of not doing that again with the free hit. So I will get one of Son and Kane. I don't think I'm going to get them both. I mean, the thing is, you've got to look at the fixture. Villa away is not an easy game. And you've got to think that Marino will set up here in a way where it's like, well, you can have the ball, Villa, but we're going to catch you on the break. So I don't think it's going to be a, a very open game with lots of goals. I think, you know, on paper, that looks like a very tight affair, decided perhaps by the odd goal. So I think going both Son and Kane might be overkill when you've got the opportunity, like you say, to get a few differentials like Rashford in or with the free hit. So I'm going to cover it to some extent by getting one of them. And it's probably going to be Kane because I just think the options with a free hit uh, there's more plentiful options in midfield. You know, you can you can get Rashford and you can get Neto and players like that who've got a bit of promise. Whereas up front, you know, beyond Wilson, uh, you're looking at someone like Watkins. And again, you know, Watkins against Spurs, I don't think Villa are going to get many chances out of that Spurs defence. They're going to be sitting back. So it's probably going to be Kane that I'm going to go for and hope that Son doesn't do too much damage um, in that game. But uh, I wouldn't go both in, in a free hit situation. 
Uh, it certainly makes sense. I think the phrase I came up with was balanced zag uh, for, for how I'm going to be looking at it. I actually went the other way, uh, which is concerning, actually, hearing it from you, um, in terms of going with Son, uh, who I felt was just kind of looking at it, it's just hygiene at this point um, and using a 4-5-1 maybe because there is that, as you mentioned, embarrassment of options in the midfield. So I'm going to lean into that. Um, I haven't been drafting too much for the reasons that I've said in terms of I want to activate quite late. Um, but for me, a lot of the free hit will be set up to own players that non-free hitters won't be buying son and kane just incidentally i had a look at their data in preparation for this pod and it's just incredible this year that overperformance in terms of xgi to the delta their combined overperformance 21 goals <laughs> like the second in terms of a duo is rashford and bruno fernandez and that's nine so just incredible difference between those uh, sets of players so I guess you're praying in that Villa game, which of course is not an easy game, as you've inferred, Mark, that that combination doesn't happen again. But I'm not bet against that totally. No, and I guess by getting one of them, you've covered half of it. I mean, it, it, it's yeah. funny because watching them against Leeds, I mean, that XG situation is borne out because they kind of lull you into a full sense of security. It's like like watching Vardy. You watch Vardy for Leicester, you think he's not Vardy had any touches. He's not looking threatening at all. You always pull something out of the bag you know, before the 90 minutes is up. And and Kane and Son were a bit like that. I was watching the game thinking, okay, Alioski gave the penalty away, a bit dubious. But even after that, I was thinking, well, Kane and Son aren't doing much. Spurs don't look that threatening, not building anything. Leeds are the better team. And then out, out of nothing, a flash of brilliance, great pass, brilliant finish. And there's the points. And that's what they do. Um, so it's horrible to watch because you actually sit there and think, I can come out now from behind the sofa. And then before you know it, they send you back there in a flash. So... Yeah, it, watching that Villa game is going to be torturous if I only have one. Um, but I, I think I need to cover one and hope that's, that he's the one who comes out stronger of the two. Yeah, I think Vardy is the uh, the perfect comparator there because he's one of those players that, you know, you look at the underlying stats and you're like, well, he never gets any shots anyway. And then, and then of course, he, he gets a penalty or it's just that one one goal attempt where he gets behind a defence and, and that's it. And he... He always does that. And I think Son and Kane have been a little bit like that this season, especially Son. I mean, I did look at a little bit of his sort of his numbers and his, his amount of goal attempts. He's only actually had 28, which is 19th out of all the midfielders. It's less than the likes of Lookman and Ruben Neves. Uh, but, you know, this this is just how it's been for, for Spurs and, and Son. He's, he's just an excellent finisher, isn't he? I mean, his goal conversion rate this season is 42.9%, which obviously you would argue is unsustainable. But, you know, like just looking at the stats, you know, both both Son and Kane, they're, um, you know, they're the top scoring players in the game at the moment for midfielders and forwards. And, and Kane's got double figures for goals and assists. And it's just, it's just crazy. And I think even with the um, the highly owned assets in terms of zagging, you know, we, we can see if you just own one of them, you're not going to escape the red arrow if they're both performing. That's, that's the risk of just owning one. You're essentially just kind of sitting there you're still dropping because of the sheer amount of managers that, that have both and it's probably going to be even worse next week with, with people free hitting and and owning both for that as well so I think that's the that's the risk there I've got I've got this feeling we're going to be sitting here in game week 37 going it's unsustainable there's no way they can keep this up it's like exactly. I, I feel the same I look when I was playing the wild cards yeah one of the reasons why I didn't go Son and Kane is because I looked at it and thought you know and they've had matches like Wolves away where they look pretty dire and and you know Marino set them up in such a way where they weren't getting any chances at all even with the combination that they've had so you know, you can look at data and, and try and get some reassurance to back a decision not to go with either of them. But at the end, they're going to make you pay. So 
I don't know. It's going to go to the wire, to be honest, this one. I may well end up with both of them after all, but it's just what you can configure. And, and yeah, going 4 5 one's an interesting one. I haven't set a free-hit team up with that option yet. There's some good cheap defenders, actually. You mentioned Kieran Clark. I think against a Sheffield United team who don't score goals and concede on set pieces, Kieran Clark's a good player to have. So um, there could be a, a, a setup for me where it's 4 5 one where I could get them both. So it's early days. I've got time to, to look at that. But it's, it, there's many options, isn't there? Yeah, no, definitely plenty of time, which is always good. It's always nice, a bit of a breather, rather than having to make huge decisions in the space of two days, which has probably been a bit of a collective undoing, apart from Nick, of course, who's managed to walk through, walk across water here. Um, yeah, no, Sheffield United, absolutely awful. Uh, just to riff on Clark slightly, they've only created four big chances over the last six games. They've got the second lowest, second lowest XG, and frankly, don't look like scoring. Um, but uh, I, I think in terms of how you'd set up if you were uh, free hitting there are kind of those uh, th- those players all round which are kind of nice little thing players so i guess if you are free hitting just think who would nick not buy that's probably my way of doing it that's the way i'm kind of setting up my team as a template he's just rubbish lacazette for example he's got the fourth highest xg in the last six He's not really killing it, let's face it, in the analog stats. Nine shots in the box, eight shots on target. But he's getting those high-quality chances, and he's taking them now. He's rediscovered his mojo, uh, where Aubameyang's is. I don't know. Maybe he's drinking Aubameyang's mojo. Um, but there's an almost unbelievable £3.2 million saving, which is just crazy. Like If you told me at the start of the season, Arsenal would be in a, would be in a blank, Aubameyang would be a shoo-in. Um, but at the moment, it's Lacazette who's converting and just to stick with the Arsenal theme as well. Um, very rare we get to talk about Arsenal in FPL context these days. Um, there's also the Saka bloke. Um, he's a joint second for shots in the box in the last six behind El Ghazi. What? Really? Yeah, yeah. He's second uh, for shots in the box. He's not really boshing the stats right now, Mr. Saka. He's 17 shots overall, but only five of them have been on target. However, 5.3 million is just an incredible enabler. There's quite a few people. Players like this, you know, like holding. Next mentioned Tierney. I think he's got the most chances created once defends over the last six. And um, Arsenal's game against Crystal Palace as well is probably going to be one of those that people are going to be, I guess, tripling down on, um, aren't they, Mark? Just because it's kind of the, the, the next nicest fixture, I guess, after the City kind of game against Brighton, which I'm sure we'll come on to just very, very shortly. It is, and I think we haven't really got any whipping boys about. I mean, like West Brom, I guess, are the whipping boys again now, uh, despite having you know, the result at Anfield. We're suddenly going, okay, yes. You know, Big Sam's not working his magic. They're still whipping boys. But I think Palace have got tendencies to do that. They can capitulate and they can concede three or four goals. Obviously, we see the seven nil home defeat to Liverpool. Um, you know, it's quite possible against a confident Arsenal, if they get an early goal, there could be three or four goals in that for Arsenal, the way they're playing at the moment. I mean, they they have found some creativity. Um, you know, Smith Rowe and Saka uh, look to have a good understanding, good combination. They're playing with no fear. And Lacazette, you know, I think he's had um, six big chances in the last three or four game weeks. He's he's getting chances, he's converting. He looks a different player as well. Like, just the way he's carrying himself on the pitch, the way he took that second goal oh, against West Brom. You know, he's got, he's got confidence. You can see it in the way he took that goal. Um, and I absolutely will have him in my free hit team, I think, because I think, as I say, Palace could capitulate, could be three or four goals conceded. And then you'd bat Lacazette to be in the points. So he's he's definitely one I'm getting. Yeah, it makes you believe in a thing called form, Lacazette, I think. Uh, Nick, what do you say to that? I mean, I, I think there was a question, obviously, about what players you'd be covering as somebody who's not free-hitting. Um, you're in a decent situation. It's already been kind of covered. But 
what sort of players are you looking to bring in with your transfers? Is there anyone you're particularly worried about? Sounds like Lacazette is one that you're kind of hiding from. Yeah, so I think obviously with my transfers, I've got to think about the following week in mind. So that's why I'm looking specifically at Manchester City and Manchester United assets because they do have that double game week. So if that's the strategy that I've got to employ if I don't use the free hit. Obviously, if I end up using the free hit, I might end up with triple Arsenal. I just have to see what happens over the next week or so. And obviously, there's a, there's a strong case for all those Arsenal players you mentioned. But I'm just putting that to the back of my mind for now and hoping that uh, Tyrick Mitchell picks up a clean sheet and obviously his absence for the, uh, the 7-0. So it's all, it's all on Mitchell for me. But uh, we'll see. I think uh, certainly in terms of other picks, the United defence, I think they, they're worth a, a shout out um, in terms of just who they're playing. So you, you mentioned, Mark, not many whipping boys uh, this season. But I think there's, there's it's more the opposite. There's just teams that just can't score at all, isn't there? Like Sheffield United and Burnley as well. So Burnley only have eight goals this season. They've got the lowest goal attempts with 117 and only managed 36 shots on target all season. So that's two a game. So as long as De Gea doesn't spill the ball or something or or Taco outleaps Shaw on a corner, you've, you've probably guaranteed a clean sheet. So I think the likes of Maguire, um, Wambasaka could be a pretty decent picks as well for the free hit. Well, I mean, it could happen. I looked into Wood recently because there's a lot of Wood for Wood on Twitter. And I, I saw the, my favourite stat on FFS is big chances missed. And big chances missed for Wood this year at this point is 12. And last year at this point, who led big chances missed? Chris Wood, 13. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Um, perhaps some truth to that. Um, I do like the idea of, um, you know, I remember Juan Bissaka was always kind of uh, got an obligatory bonus at Spilicueta style last year. And I, I fancy kind of him or even double United defence for that game. And um, just because, as you said, they're, they're pretty interesting, aren't they, Burnley? Um, so that could possibly happen. I'm just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not too sure about United. I've got Bruno. I'm very happy with that. And I think I will go for Wan-Bissaka. Um, but uh, uh, it's, one, it's one of those, isn't it, where I think that double is probably just about good enough. So I think that might be a tight game. I can imagine that being 1-2-0. I'm not too sure, despite my what-would-Nick-not-buy philosophy, whether I'm looking to buy Rashford or Martial. I mean, Mark, if you are free-hitting, are you going to be looking at the, the likes of Rashford, Martial, et cetera, et cetera? Or is it going to be I'm, defensive I'm heavy? Not- yeah, I'm not going to go Martial because I think there's a chance Cavani could play this game because he'll be rested having served his suspension. And I oh, think, yeah, of course. You know, yeah. One, one thing I think that um, Ollie might look at is set pieces and think, well, Cavani can give you a bit more cover on those. So I wouldn't be surprised if Cavani plays. I mean, I think one of the advantages of free hitting is the free hit follows the FA Cup. So we can look at the team sheets in the FA Cup and use them as a guide to who is definitely going to start. Now, you know, if Rashford's rested in the FA Cup, I probably will go Rashford because he's certain start and he's had the rest. I mean, similarly, when you look at the Man City lineup for their cup tie, you know, it might be that Sterling gets a rest and therefore we, we go Sterling over De Bruyne even because it's just a one-week relationship. We can get De Bruyne in the next week. Why not? So these are the advantages that free hit teams have over people who are having to build for the free hit. And I think if we get that advantage, we should try and use it. So the team sheets in the FA Cup are going to be vital, I think, to informing some of my decisions. I wouldn't trust Pep in any scenario after Tom's experience with Kyle Walker. Oh, Kyle Walker was rested in the cup. Yep, he's definitely going to play in the league. 
<laughs> just trying to laugh yeah, at you about true. Lacazette you're getting that one in rubbing salt to the room Nick but yeah no I think that that's a, a very nice way of pulling on to City actually because obviously that's a big elephant in the room we haven't addressed and um, those team sheets in the FA Cup probably going to be a little bit of information that you may not get in game week uh, 29 uh, but equally are we going to be able to discern very much from what Pep Guardiola does anyone could be randomly naughty steps um, I mean, would it surprise anybody here if Mares played both cup games and suddenly was also playing against Brighton Oh, it's a tough one, isn't it? All three of us are without Kevin De Bruyne, and I think that he's probably the one who's going to get the most airtime. And as I've mentioned, not showing up in the market forces yet, but I'm anticipating we'll see a lot of Salah to De Bruyne sort of swapping around, especially amongst the less engaged managers who are not going to be in the free hit and will be just kind of buying their way into it. I mean, Mark, city-wise, Kevin De Bruyne probably leading the charge there. Uh, what are your views? Well, it's almost tempting to go three of their defenders, isn't it? Because defensively, they're so far ahead of anyone else at the moment. And yeah. You've got Chelsea who have wavered. Their defence has really faltered. Liverpool are just a non-starter defensively. I just think City, by far and away, have got the bankable defensive assets. And, you know, I've got Ken Shello and Diaz, who I think are the two to have, um, particularly with like the likes of Mendy in discretions off the pitch. I don't think Ken has got any chance of losing his place at the moment. He's in there on merit as well. He's, he's I think he's probably been their best player this season. So I think that, uh, yeah, those two are, are going to be in my team for sure. And I'm almost tempted to go, well, I'll get Stones as well because he's looking more and more secure and then try and find another solution in midfield. But I think it will be, certainly for the double game week, it'll be De Bruyne. I'll, I'll make the move from Mane to De Bruyne to cover that. And I'll go in with free City. Because the other thing with City is coming out of 19, their fixtures are ridiculous. Um, you know, they've got a run of three opponents who aren't likely to score against them at all. I think they've got, is it Burnley, Sheffield United and West Brom? You know, the three after game week 19. So you've got to think, you've got to have at least two defenders for that run. And that's why I'm thinking maybe you can go the three because you're banking pretty much free surefire clean sheet straight after game week 19, I think. So it's almost tempted to go about De Bruyne, but... I think he's played his way into favour again, hasn't he? I think he's almost going to be my captain for that game right now. Yeah, no, definitely. I think the the defence is actually very intriguing at Man City. I, I don't think we'd ever have been sitting here or anticipated we'd be sitting here thinking, oh, yeah, City defence. Wow, that's that's where I want to be. Um, but the numbers this year have just been great, haven't they? The last six games, they're actually see as three. And there's two lower than any other team. Only three big chances conceded. And, you know, Diaz especially perhaps is like the low-key hero this year you know Pep always does like this kind of uh, pinpoint anchor man center back as a friend of pod uh, James Carroll is a big advocate of this and he's just one of those players who like Otamendi in years past like Laporte in years past just plays every game and they don't really get tired because they don't have to do very much if you're a center back for Man City you just kind of stand there and recycle the ball around you know because if you have the ball it means the opponent can't attack and therefore can't score and um, so maybe you know I know DS is a little bit expensive nowadays at 5.8 but he He's a great way into just kind of having that sort of certainty of starts. And like Edison used to be, um, just having that 50-50 chance of getting your clean sheet every week. Lovely. And um, so he might be one that you may think about including long term and also one you may want to bring in um, just for, for the uh, for the blank as well against Brighton. Um, hard to tell how that one's going to go. Obviously, there are quite a few options there for City. Raheem Sterling, I'm convinced there is a Son Heung-min level player in there. Uh, we've seen it in the past and he hasn't blanked for four weeks, actually. But they've all been assists. Um, he's third for XA so over the last six weeks. But that's not really what we're looking for from Sterling. We're looking for goals and assists. Uh, we're looking for more goals than anything else. And I think what's happening with him is that 
he really needs Aguero back. And I think Kevin De Bruyne as well really needed Aguero back until this week where he was fielded as uh, the false number nine. I think the, 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 for me, the jury's still out whether Chelsea were just brittle or whether he was very good or both. I'm not too sure about how that's going to work. As Mark said, Cancelo, real eye test hero. I, I looked at his data and over the last six, his eight chances created. Um, but he was, he's been robbed a lot of the time of getting assists. I'm sure Mark, you've been looking at and cringing about. There's a wider cast of characters. So you know, there's two cup games to come, as Mark mentioned. If Canaguero plays one of them, and if we know that he's playing 60 minutes, could he be interesting some people? I'm sure there'll be some residual romanticism that could drive managers there. And I guess if things were, all things being even, and we didn't really know um, okay, who was playing, who wasn't, and we weren't kind of trying to predict Pep Roulette. I mean, the Brighton game does sound like a Mares game, doesn't it? He's one of those players who does average a ridiculous amount uh, in terms of uh, points per 90. There are lots of options there. Um, I'm not too sure how I'll set it up yet, but it does feel like the herd is going to move towards Kevin De Bruyne and it might be one of those that will end up being a cover pit before long. I guess the final thing to speak about, because we've spoken about a few of the big teams, is the supporting cast. So we've spoken about Newcastle a tiny bit. Um, Jeff Pedder mentioned Wilson, who we've spoken about. FPL French, you mentioned Carl Darlow, um, just because I think Sheffield United have been so rubbish. I mean, Mark, what sort of players are you looking to pad out your kind of uh, free hit team with? I mean, uh, Nick's got the likes of Mitchell always putting his hopes in. Yeah, I, I think obviously targeting Newcastle for Sheffield United looks a good fixture. I, you know, it could be a very dour affair with a few goals, but you've got, I think you've got to back Wilson against that Sheffield United defence. He, he's capable of causing him a lot of problems. And similarly, I, I said earlier about the set-piece weakness and, and Kieran Clark's the man to go to on set-pieces for Newcastle. So those two are in my thinking. Obviously, Neto's got to be in there. I think he's, I think he's been outstanding the last few weeks at Wolves. He's really emerged... I mean, there's been that kind of kind of tag match between him and Podence in terms of which one to go for, which one's a superior force there. But I think Neto in the last three or four weeks has really emerged as the one yeah. I favour. Um, so Neto is a, is in in my consideration as well. I don't think he's someone that people without the free hit need to fear, but he could turn up and get double figures. So it's not out of the realms of possibility. Everton at the moment are no great shakes. And I think I'd favour Wolves in that fixture. So I'd rather go a Wolves player than than Calvert Lewin, um, because obviously people without the free hit, may, a lot of them may well be taking Calvert Lewin into that game. So I'm not going to go near him. I'll go for Wolves instead. Um, so yeah, I, at the moment I'm looking at, a, at the main emphasis being on getting free Arsenal players. Obviously the free City, and then padding that out with um, Newcastle and uh, and maybe one or two Wolves players. And it depends really how whether I get Son and Kane. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that that's definitely going to be the way that I'm going to address it. Um, looking at Free City, I think that's fairly obvious. Uh, just move us on to the end as well. And I think that Double United probably is a way of doing it. One of Son or Kane, probably going to be Son in order to enable the rest. And then Double Newcastle, just because Sheffield United can't score. I think that's going to make quite a nice little team. And I think that's all really important to remember, especially if you are a very engaged manager who's across social media, you know, across the kind of different channels, is that it's going to look like everybody is free hitting it's going to look like everyone's got a killer team this week even those who don't free hit a wild card into it we've got a few questions on that don't don't think we haven't considered that we've got a few questions on to speak about that so some people are going to have ridiculous teams to free hit regardless 
and you may think, oh, you know, I'm gonna make no no gains because my team looks so boring. I need to start making you no know, ridiculous punts in my in my week. I need to be getting the Richarlisons in, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Really, most of the game won't be free hitting this week. And you are probably likely to do pretty well this week compared to the average. Obviously, the higher up you are, the best you're probably gonna do from uh from from making a few sort of calculated risks. Oh, I think that's probably uh, brings us to a natural conclusion of this section. I hope that's useful in terms of uh, just thinking about the free hit, how you're gonna play it, how you're gonna strategize it, and the sort of players you're gonna go for take a break here and we move on to the correspondence and the q a just after this who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and it's uh, time to quickly catch up with the who got the assist mini league we'll just do a quick rundown of the top five so in fifth it's our friend from twitter alan cooper with the oak army he got 62 points this game week uh, but dropped a couple of places in the league also dropping is wallace clark with the ace team also getting 62 points. Uh, but the guys at the top um, did really well. So the top three is David Izzet. He got 69 points. Charles Hazel, he got 78. And Borisov Joksimovic, he got 71 points this week. So great week for him. Um, overall rank now 128. So that's that's pretty damn amazing. Um, Cresswell, one of the stars of his team with 11 points. Um, also Captain, Captain Son, uh, De Bruyne and Fernandez as well doing the business there. Brilliant. It's always amazing that the same names keep coming up, especially during the bad weeks. Um, that those guys still keep kind of managing to, to grind out 50s, 60s, and everyone else is kind of averaging out 40s. Incredible stuff. Uh, next section is uh, correspondence. Normally, you'd have Anthony's uh, joyous uh, Hibernian tones going through this. Unfortunately, you've got to deal with mine here um obviously uh to, to get involved here uh, send us in your questions queries addendums songs poems raps indeed uh, to who got the assist at gmail.com and we will endeavor to get them looked over get them spoken about during the podcast and obviously it will make anthony the happiest man in all of the island of ireland uh, this week it is chris antsy um who wrote us in a little while ago um apologies there is a little bit of a backlog on these because of the quick turnaround pods and it will continue to be a bit of a backlog on these but they will all get answered, I promise. Um, he writes into us and says, all right, lads, uh, my question is about the concepts of the players' upcoming fixtures and how they're used to predict future outcomes. Uh, because we very rarely seem to use previous fixtures, uh, Chris says, as a filter to contextualise previous points returns and even underlying stats. So he says, you know, you're always likely to hear KDB has Fulham and Burnley in his next three games. I think I'll bring him in. You're also likely to hear KDB has the most shots, penalty box touches, and key passes of midfielders in the last three games. I think I'll bring him in. But what Chris says, what you're not likely to hear is KDB has the most shots, penalty box touches, and key passes in all midfielders in the last three games. But two of his last three games were against Fulham and Burnley. Maybe that's something that should be brought into account. Chris reckons this is a rather large contradiction because we're willing to use kind of perceived easier coming fixtures as an indicator of future success rather than applying that same logic to the past. And he's kind of wondering about the dynamic between the two things and how these things are expressed in the FPL community. And I thought it was quite a good one to kind of raise uh, with Mark on. Uh, Chris also, I should say, says, no disrespect to Burnley and Fulham, you're not going to have loads of angry Bullen, uh, Bullen, <laughs> Burnley and Fulham fans on your doorstep, Chris, I'm sure. Um, but a good one to raise with Mark on uh, the pod because obviously one of the founding fathers of um, how we do look at data in the FPL community. Um, I mean, Mark, why does this sort of thing crop up, do you reckon? Like, how do you contextualise information that you give out? I know you do a very good job, but with ours on black box of kind of showing as much information as you can, but what's your approach here? Yeah, he's got a good point. You've always got to be cautious when you're using data. What Chris is presuming here that you 
that we just use stats like you know KDB's data of the last three game weeks. And so the number of points to make here is that you know I would never use a free game week sample to measure a player's um, form or um, you know how they're performing. I think you need to go beyond three game weeks. Um, normally I would want to use six. I mean. What I've been doing on black boxes, we've been using um, several like minutes per indicators, minutes per big chance, minutes per chance, minutes per XG, non-penalty, and looking at totals over the season, then also looking at the last four matches as well. And so we're kind of working a blend between the two to try and avoid some of the things here that Chris is mentioning, that you can easily get skewed by just looking at a snapshot of someone's stats without looking at the fixtures that were behind that as well. I think it's a very valid point and it's something you've got to protect against. And it's something this season that, you know, I look back at my career as an FBL manager and obviously data has played a massive role in, in some of my decisions throughout the seasons. But I think when I'm looking at ways I can improve as an FBL manager, it's about looking at the way I use data and spotting weaknesses. Um, where, when, when has data, when have I been guided by data and when has it let me down? And, and just getting better at using data and trying to avoid scenarios like this where you would just go, oh, okay, Mane's had 11 shots in the last three game weeks without actually looking deeper into why that could be. Is he playing in a different position? Is, is there a certain player, is Salah not playing and therefore Mane's more of a focus? And who are the opponents? So... I think Chris raises one of many kind of pitfalls that are open to us if we just use data on the face of it. You've got to use it as a as a starting point, as a as a spring daughter, if you like. So if you it gives you a lead, uh, you know, you can look at the last three or four game weeks and get look at the names at the top of it. You know, El Ghazi, you mentioned earlier in the show, he's a player who's excelled recently. Well, have a look at the data by all means, but use the eye test as well and also look at who those matches were, who were they against? Absolutely. So, yeah, it's definitely a valid point, and nobody should take stats on the face value without investigating further. But I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, statistics and data are a great lead. They're a great way of kind of alerting you to players and teams and enabling you to look deeper into why that data could be the case. Exactly. I think it, it kind of highlights the importance of, in psychology, what you call framing, presenting the data in a certain way to give the impression you want to give. Uh, so you know, there's always the age of example of, I think that X is a great player. He scored six goals over the last six games. And if you look at the data itself, look at the fixtures, oh, well, he scored you know, a hat-trick and a brace in the first couple of games, and over the last four, he's blanked. But that you know, six goals in the last six games, that looks the same as if somebody has scored a goal every game for the last six games. I think often what you see is people are looking to pass off you know, that sort of headline idea as a kind of something which is going to be impactful. Um, and it's often the case that I think kind of chiming what you said there, Mark, that as an informed consumer, um, I, to put that in inverted commas, as people who are listening to this, I assume to be, I think there's always the an onus of responsibility on everybody to decide for yourself if you agree or disagree with something. So whether it's something we say, whether it's something you've seen written, like we always assume that you'll do a little bit of research on your own to kind of think, all right, how much do I agree is what they said is justified. And I think one of the founding things about WGCA has been that we've tried to make sure that whatever we said, it can be evidence. Like there's no, Oh, I just love this guy. He's great. Um, 
things that come to mind here, I guess, in the past uh, where, um, you know, Watford a few years ago when they got thumped by Man City 8-0, I remember for weeks afterwards we were saying, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 blah from City looks fantastic. But remember uh, one of those games were 8-0 to answer Chris's question directly. And also uh, there's a Saints uh, game that I'm sure their fans won't want, uh, won't want us to mention, but we had to cite that 9-0 whenever we mentioned Leicester players last year for an awfully long time because obviously that inflated the scores. It's really important to bear in mind how you judge how those things impact what you call the baseline where the player is still appealing despite all those caveats being understood and acknowledged. And it's also very important, of course, to bear in mind that, as I say all the time, uh, data is part of not the full picture. So the eye test is always so important. I mean, you mentioned Algazi. I did have the data on him. I didn't mention uh, th- that those numbers, but he's absolutely smashing the data at the moment. Like if you looked at the last six and you were looking at anybody, you'd be like, well, oh, I'm buying Algazi right now. He's top over the last six for shots and shots on target. And he's got a higher goal involvement for Villa than Grealish. Um, he scored 44 points in the last six weeks, second only to Bruno, who's owned by 4% of managers. But if you watch him play, make your own conclusions about whether he's worth buying in or not. Uh, Nick, what do you reckon to this one then? I know you're uh, one of those players who's quite conscientious about how you use stats, quite judicious about that. I agree with most of the points that have been made. Obviously, we always try and you know, avoid doing too many stats heavy podcasts at the beginning of the season when we've only had about three or four games played because we know that it's very early doors and and the form isn't necessarily showing that particular moment in time. And, you know, things like fixtures do play a, a heavy impact. Yeah, you mentioned that Leicester game, for instance, when we obviously we saw Bertrand got sent off in that one. And, and you do see stuff like red cards can throw out the stats quite heavily as well. So obviously with Crystal Palace, when they annihilated the uh, 10 men uh, West Brom the other day, Benteke got a brace but we weren't suddenly trying to, you know, singing his praises saying everyone get Benteke in because um, it was a little bit of a fluke performance in, in that regard. So I, I think I, I agree with, as you said, about framing as well there, Tom, just obviously, you know, we, we try and we try and include it in all of our analysis when we're looking at the players and who got the most shots and who got the most goals in the last few weeks. But obviously, yeah, you have to kind of look at both form and, and fixtures. Yep, certainly. I think it's always one of those sort of really, really interesting kind of areas around how we present these things as content creators, trying to give the, as full a picture as we can. I think a lot of the time we do try to say, we're going to present you a case for one thing or present you a case for another, but we never say you do this or you should do that. Um, and we always try to leave it up to you. Um, so yeah, a very, very good question, Chris. Uh, thanks very much for writing in. Um, as we mentioned, who got the assist at gmail.com and make Anthony squeal. Right, let's move on to the Q&A. And we've got loads of really, really great questions this week. Thank you very much for those. And I, I know I don't leave the Q&A uh, post up very long. That's because I don't want people writing in two hours after I put it up and then feeling aggrieved that I haven't looked at their questions. So I put it up while I'm having my tea and then I delete it afterwards. Uh, and the first one this week is chip planning. Um, probably one of those which is kind of precipitated by the fact that things have changed a lot um, with that um, the Man City and my nice announcement. So James Carroll asked if uh, recent events have changed our chip planning. For example, he knows um, that I was planning to triple captain this week uh, in two weeks time, uh, but I've erred on a little bit on that. 
and Mark, he said that from Black Box, he knew that you were planning to bench boost in the upcoming double game week. He asked, is that still the case or is it now kind of a case of waiting until the next best double game week for you? And Alex Ball asked a very, very similar question. Um, and also there's this kind of uh, emerging strategy of wildcard 18, uh, bench boost 19, uh, mentioned by the likes of FPL Banger and Thomas Danes. Uh, but let's stick to kind of the chip planning for the time being and whether things have changed. I mean, Mark, is it still the case you're looking at that bench boost? You're still confident in it despite all of kind of the COVID disruption? Well, this is it. I think when, I mean, I had to wildcard ahead of 16 because it, use it or lose it. And I, I saw the fact, you know, the gain I can make from having the wildcard this late would be to use it to set up for the double game week and the bench boost. And so I'm sticking to that plan. But obviously, immediately after I played the wildcard, the COVID situation escalated and, and we started to see postponements immediately. And we've had three postponements so far. So obviously, I'm nervous going into this uh, double game week that that will be the case. But I don't think it's going to change my decision because I'm looking ahead at what my other opportunities to use it. And I'm I'm nervous about the, the 26 double game week. I know that that is going to be another big one. And there'll be a lot of good teams, I think, who will have two fixtures because it's based on who progresses in the FA Cup. But I do feel that, you know, there's European games in the midweek before that double game week. And therefore, you know, you've kind of got the opposite of what we've got now. What we've got now is the FA Cup, then a rest. And some players who don't play in the FA Cup will have about 10 days, 12 days rest. Whereas for that double game week 26, it will be at the business end of the season when it's pretty serious. and teams in Europe will want to play strong sides. Um, and I do think calling team sheets going into a bench boost in game week 26 would be difficult. Um, so I still think this is the best game week to play it. But of course, the X factor is is the COVID situation. I can't call it. I don't know. We, we've only had three postponements so far. And, you know, I've lost four players to that. Um, I have missed out on four first choice players. Um, I hope you know, I think we all hope that there aren't any further postponements going into future game weeks and that the uh, double won't be affected, but I can't be certain. But it's not enough, that doubt is not enough to make me back out of my plan now. I've got 15 double game weekers now because of the way City have dropped in. So I've got to play it with that. I think the potential yeah. is so strong, I've got to play it. It's one of those things where uh, you've got a real rather than theoretical risk that games won't be played, uh, but equally you can't get too hung up on the notion of caution i definitely feel that a lot of the time when you write stuff on social media you'll get people saying oh but what if you get calls off or what if he doesn't play or what if he gets rotated it's all around the same theme of being very very cautious so it's the same thing you kind of think well fine just buy the burnley players then and just go with that and there's always going to be an element of risk and whatever you do but if you've got those players and you're well set up for that bench boost i can't see why you would pull out from doing that I mean, for me, I'm, I'm I'm going to take a late call on that triple captain. As, a, as I've said, it does feel like there's kind of a real rather than theoretical threat that those games won't be played. And there may well be a, a trip up uh, during that double game week. Um, so you know, some sort of flight to safety saying, right, OK, Kevin De Bruyne, two good fixtures. Yeah, triple captain, that guy. Um, that may well be the way I go. Um, maybe even triple captain Bamford, because uh, he's got very two very, very good fixtures. I'm not quite sure what I'll do with that yet. Unfortunately, I'm not in a position where I could bench boost because I wasn't quite kind of well set up at the time that the fixtures fell um, for bench boost without taking a lot of hits. So I'm going to kind of use that later on in the year. Um, I appreciate what you're saying about uh, game week 26. I 
I mean, there's obviously obviously the option to kind of build towards 26 between 24 and 26. 24 is when we learn about who's got double in game in 26, but that feels like a very narrow window. So I'm, there's always the traditional game week 37 bonanza, um, and that may be the one that I put all my hope in. As, as I said in the last podcast last year, I bench boosted in a single game week and got 130 points. So it's not unknown to do okay in that sort of week. It really does come down to it. I'm, I'm a bit jealous of people who can bench boost um, bench boost in 19 because it feels like a nice time to do it. As you said, there's no kind of extraneous issues with, with things like, like Europe. Uh, Nick, what are you doing? Are, are you worried about how things in recent times have changed? Not really, to be honest. I was considering the triple captain in that particular week. I was thinking about putting on Mo Salah, but considering his recent form, you know, I'm not really seeing a strong <laughs> yeah. case for that anymore at all. So that's kind of off the table. But then obviously with the fixture change, we've now got De Bruyne as an option for the triple captain. And he, he certainly looks like one that it could be put on maybe. But then again, you know, that was his first go outside of them. Um, you know, that was his first goal in open play all season, wasn't it? So he's not been in scintillating form this season either. So I'm, I'm thinking I might keep it for a little bit later in the season because Kane obviously has that Fulham at home fixture that's going to need to be rescheduled. That could be the perfect time to, to play the triple captain, maybe depending on when that is uh, rescheduled. So for now, I think I'm going to keep in the locker a little bit of uncertainty, of course, with the um, fixtures as well and possibility of cancellations. So I'm probably going to keep my chips in my locker. I think mm. for the managers like Mark and people who've, you know, wild carded um, recently, it kind of makes sense. If you've got those 15 men, to, you know, and you're, you're ready and raring to go with the bench boost, you might as well do it because, you know, there's not necessarily necessarily going to be a better time in the season where you have a better opportunity so by all means go for it for i think for me i'm probably just going to hang on to to my chips for now and and look for those uh, better opportunities perhaps later on in the season just because of my current setup uh, also linked to this is that when we look at the bench boost what you need are not heavy hitters for a bench boost you need good cheap or medium price options and when i looked at this game week you've got leeds and west ham who've got two home fixtures two very good home fixtures both of them um and they've got players who you would want um you know lead the leeds attack and dallas at the back are all cheap options and when they've got two home games you'd back leads to do well and west ham as well you know if antonio appears in the fa cup and starts in the fa cup he could be someone I bring in up front, um, but as it is, I'll take Suchek and and um, Kufal into into the double. So I'll have probably have three West Ham and three Leeds, and actually they're the most important players because your bench is not going to be made up of expensive players. It's been made up of you know players around the six million mark, and I just look at this this double and look at the fact that they've both those two teams have got two home fixtures and really good home fixtures, and I think that's a rare thing. It to, mm. for that to happen um that you get two sources of value with two really good fixtures in a double game week and i think that's that's what convinced me that it was the right tactic but obviously covid is unexpected complication yeah that definitely is i i, I think that kind of a allure about the fact that you've got you can create quite a nice well-rounded team it's definitely made people think about this emerging strategy uh, that FPL Banger and Thomas Daines alluded to that I've said earlier of wildcarding game week 18 and bench boosting game week 19. So I've seen the likes of FPL Royce, uh, the likes of FPL Analytic and Adam Hopcroft himself um, even mentioning that it might well be worth doing it 
So Mark, you mentioned earlier, for example, that a lot of wildcard teams were San City. I think that's probably one of those things that are driving people towards thinking, well, I might as well do this sort of rearrangement. People who have wildcarded in game week 16, wildcarding again, you know, two, three weeks later, which I think is probably unheard of in terms of um, kind of how that goes down. I guess it's kind of rooted in the fact that you, you're using a, by my understanding, a wildcard and a free hit similarly, which is a resource to navigate a blank. Um and I guess the issue is when it's optimal to get that kind of total refresh for wildcard and get kind of that team out and kind of you have the subsequent sort of uh, team to deal with versus a free hit where you've got that kind of one week, one night fling, and then afterwards you're kind of done, you know, it's all over. And it feels like my team, for me personally, as I said, as I said at the top, it's very kind of team specific how you deal with this. My team seems to be okay to deal with the upcoming tricky period. Later on, don't have, really have a clue. So I think that might be quite useful to have a wild card there. It feels like a free hit is quite good for now, given how I'm set up. Later on, that feels like kind of wild card territory. As I mentioned, I do have a mistake to correct, which is taking a minus four or even a minus eight to get City cover back in, likely to be the Kevin Dubai back, which we've got in a minute, and maybe a Diaz sort of player. But I'm sure these guys have got a good reason to wild card now and then bench boost later on because of how good the bench boost is or because of how their teams are looking. Uh, but for me, it's about looking at your own team. And for me, it's the backs to basics things sort of work. I haven't got good players in for 18, so I'm going to free hit for that. I have got a good team for game week 19. I just need to optimize a little bit and I can use a hit or two to do that. I've got all the resources I need available to me i don't need to overcomplicate it by wild carding it was like using a wild card now as well it feels a little bit like one of those things given all the uncertainty given how long the season is might be one of those things i'll come to regret in a couple of months time so for now i'm going to use what i've got in front of me i mean you've mentioned this a little bit mark but what do you make of that sort of new newfound emerging strategy of wild carding now yeah, I only came across it today and it, it's very difficult because when you're so set on your own strategy, it's very hard to kind of take this new approach and try and see the logic behind it. But immediately I saw it, I was like, well, am I missing something here? What, What is the advantage of doing this? Particularly if you've wildcarded in 16, you presumably wildcarded to build for the double game week. So I didn't quite understand the, the logic behind it. I can see some benefits. I mean, obviously you can build for 18 and, and also some of the teams that have fixtures in 18 – um, City and United in particular have strong fixtures coming out of the double. So they have good fixtures for 2021, 20, 22. So it's not, it's not like, you know, if you're going to wildcard for 18, you're going to like land yourself with um, a bad team going forward. But I think it's just for me, it, it, you know, you're going to want that wildcard, I think for the double game week to come. Uh, you can't play the bench boost um, in game week 19. And I, as I've said before, I think 19 is, is, the superior game week to play in, I think, based on the fact that I think the European games are going to be with uncertainty and also because West Ham and Leeds are such, such gifts to us. I I yet to be able to see uh, the benefits of this. Um, but again, it, it comes down to a lot of what's staring at you in the face when you look at your team. Um, looking at mine, I, you know, I don't, it's not a route that I would take, but, you know, someone could show me a lineup and I could go, oh yeah, I see. I see why you're doing it. But, I just think it's using the wild card, the second wild card this early is is something we're likely to regret. 
I think most of our teams can be sorted out with a couple of hits. It's just Manchester City, really, where we're all kind of looking at my, my team, for instance. I don't have any City coverage at all. So I'm thinking, oh, I could wild card, I guess, just to kind of put myself in a really strong position. But, you know, I'm not seeing like the massive added benefit. I mean, I'm looking at De Bruyne and Diaz. They're the guys I, I really need. And I can get both in on the minus four. So, you know, I, I, I'm not sold on, on the strategy at the moment for the wild card 18 I think there's certainly going to be better opportunities later on in the season to use it so um, my advice would probably be you know have another look at your team and see if you can fix it with a couple of hits if you can then then don't do it but as we said it's, it's very team specific um, so we've, we've got some questions as well um, for the man himself Mark so we had a couple of questions here from Adam Pritchard and Desperately Seeking Dusan Alan and it's basically a two-parter um, what most surprised you on your return to the FPL community and has your involvement changed how you play? Wow. Um, I think I think the, the thing that really surprised me is just how much is available for free out there. I think because everyone knows my background and the fact that, you know, I set up Scout with Chris and it became a business and it, it, it became a big thing. You know, it, it grew beyond the realms of my and even my wildest imagination. And I think when I was doing that, I almost saw... Um, you know, what was going on on Twitter and what was starting up on YouTube as, as a threat to my business and, and my livelihood and the fact that that paid for the roof over my head, it was a concern to me. So I didn't really kind of raise my head above the parapet and take a look around as to what was out there because it worried me. So I didn't want to know almost. So the, I think the minute that I came back into the community having left Scout, it was kind of, wow. Uh, I didn't really realise just the level of content that is available and, and the amount of time and effort people put into stuff for either for free or for, you know, just meagre kind of reimbursement on on Patreon. You know, it's incredible um, the, the time people invest in FBL now. And, and it's and it's fantastic. I mean, it's it was a surprise, but it was a pleasant one because it just means that all of us, you know, you don't have to, you know, to part with any money you can consume fbl content almost throughout the week there's so many podcasts so many streamers out there doing stuff that it's just fantastic so that's that that was a big surprise to me just how much that was out there and the quality of it as well and in terms of how it's changed my involvement um yeah i mean i think black box the very reason i we do in black box is to assess how we're what we're decisions we're making and what what is behind those decisions and i think that's what I'm changing and that's what you know the community has, has made me more aware of is is you know the basis of which I'm I'm making my decisions and trying to be a better FBL manager um and I'm just doing it now I'm not doing it you know my business isn't there in the background you know FBL isn't my job anymore um and so I can play the game as I used to play it years ago mm. and that has changed my perspective on it definitely uh, there's a good question as well, just linking to that from Cy Rutherford, who asked, like, do you think the game has changed um, with all that information and with the fact that, you know, all of the kind of the secrets, I guess, uh, that were privy to a select few, be they back in the day, Nick and I on the FFS forums or like, listening to you on the Scoutcast, like a very, very small niche group of people have now exploded into quite a large sort of uh, as you mentioned uh, a fairly wide scaling uh, industry and which is still growing even now uh, likes of you know, obviously scout and the hub uh, doing very 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 well and each year attracting you know 
huge numbers of people um like do you think the game has changed um do you think that the kind of less engaged managers are getting converted more and more and is that creating more of a challenge for engaged managers year on year that's a really good question it's hard to know isn't it i mean i think you know obviously i think there's no doubt that the 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 FBL audience is better informed now. I mean, the FBL's accounts in themselves, when I was working for the Premier League and pushing stuff out for them, you know, I was aware of the criticisms like, oh, why are you spoon feeding the community this stuff? Because the perception was that that stuff was getting to a more casual player, if you like, because you only have to subscribe to the official Twitter channel to get that information. So I, I was sympathetic to that. I, I think there is a kind of a raised awareness of, you know, blanks and double game weeks and how to use the chips. But I don't know. I think that's fair enough. I think it's good that the, the the playing field is leveled out a bit. And actually, I see it as as a seasoned player, as a veteran player. It's meant I've got to raise my game and I've got to be smarter. And so, you know, we might all have access to the same amount of information, but you you know you can put more time in. You can analyze it better. You can you can look at your own decision making and improve that. You, there are things you can still do to get an edge. You know you you can put a set of data in front of two different people and they would interpret it differently. So yeah, I think if you want to still do well, then you've just got to raise your game and 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 try harder and and, and be smarter. And that for me is a greater challenge, and I I welcome that. I agree with you. I think kind of one thing that does um, I've noticed definitely this year as well um, in the work mini league actually is that there are loads of teams which look curiously similar to the likes of you, the likes of uh, FPL General, and uh, I, I remember this fantastic anecdote. I'm sure you won't mind me mentioning it. Uh, Matthew Jones, who you probably know, MJ, um, who said that so many people are haranguing him nowadays for live transfer updates. You know, people want to know when he's going to make a move, what he's doing. And it's because people are consciously copying him to win the work mini league. I mean, it's, it's amazing, um, you know, over the last couple of years, how things have really kind of taken off in terms of just wanting that sort of shortcut to success. And I guess, you know, we all love informing as content creators and maybe the, there's, a, there's an element of us being part of the problem, I suppose. Um, but I never really got that sort of spe- spoon feeding debate in inverted commas, same as you, Mark, I, it felt a little bit kind of elitist to me and obviously mm. it kind of felt like kind of weird like oh you know this is our information you're not having it wider world and i often think as well that my ranks have been so bad in recent years because the content we've created has just been so good and so informative for other people <laughs> so there you go um, nick i mean what, what did you say to all of this you've um admirably insulated against all of sort of the prevailing uh, headwinds in in the in the kind of a content creator slash uh, social media space i mean what's your views on how things have developed and unwrapped yeah i think it's kind of crazy just to see how the the fantasy community's grown in in the last four or five years since i was involved i mean looking at how many players there are now in the game it's 7.8 million which is just ridiculous numbers i think that's sort of twice the amount um sort of four years ago so yeah it's, it's just growing and then just the twitter community as well it's just absolutely massive so many really interesting um content creators out there and and it has made the the game more challenging i think to kind of try and stay in the sort of upper echelons of ranks i know like you know like tom's obviously struggled um last few seasons to to maintain a, a decent rank and it's definitely more and more competitive and i think this season as well as you mentioned sort of, some of the work leagues there with like lockdown i think there's just more people getting involved with fancy football because there's no pubs open there's no places to go or people to see really isn't it so 
you know, getting actively involved in Twitter and fancy football. It's, it's just, a, you know, something to, to keep our, our minds out of what's going on in reality as well. Right. Um, back to FPL um, as a thing uh, for the last couple of questions here to round off the podcast. Kevin, the buyback. And I'm going to adapt this question from FPL Awesome, who initially asked, you know, um, what we're going to do about City assets going forward. I think we've probably established here, we mentioned this earlier. I'm going to reframe this question. Are Liverpool sales the way to buy back into Manchester City? Well, I, I've got Mane sitting there. Mane to De Bruyne was the obvious transfer uh, in, in 19. The trouble is Mane was easily Liverpool's best player against Southampton by a country mile. So I almost feel unfortunate if he's the one to make way. And it almost feels like it should be Salah rather than Mane. But you've got to go with you've got to you've got to keep the penalty taker. Um, so it will be Mane making way to De Bruyne for me. I mean that's a transfer I'd already booked in, um, so I'm prepared to do that. that you know, it's, it's one double game week player to another, so it is a sideways move, I guess. But um, I was going to look at maybe Pope to Fabianski, but with Fabianski's injuries, that's out now. I'll probably transfer Wood out to Antonio, so I'll probably take a four point hit to just get a better striker and if Antonio plays in the FA Cup and looks fit enough. But Mane to De Bruyne is a given, I think, for me, because I just I think I've got to cover it, and De Bruyne probably will be my captain for 19. Whether it be my captain for 18 uh, in the free hit, I don't know. I, I think I kind of favour Bruno in, the, in that game week, I think. Yeah, no, it certainly makes sense. Uh, Nick, are you looking at bending off your Liverpool assets, especially because you're not free-hitting? This week, at least, it's going to be Salah out for De Bruyne, but I think I'm going to follow it up the following week and, and do Son um, back to Salah. So I, I don't think I can go without Salah for that double game week. More premium ping-pong, Nick. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, at least with with um, with the last element of that, Salah has a blank, so it kind of works out. And then Son only has the single game week. And I've also still got Harry Kane as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm not removing my exposure um, from the Spurs assets. I think that kind of makes sense perhaps going forward, especially after sort of game week 18, game 19, just to go with the one Spurs asset and keeping Salah, Bruno and uh, De Bruyne in place and, and stop messing around with those guys because I have been playing around taking one out week in, week out. And I got absolutely punished by Salah in, in 25 minutes against Crystal Palace and... I really don't fancy doing that again, despite yeah. a couple of bad games. We've seen it many seasons since he's joined Liverpool. He might have a couple of game weeks. People sell him. I can't remember the fixture. Tom will probably know because he sold him, but there was one, I think, where... Bournemouth. Sold, it might have been yeah, Bournemouth. That was it. Yeah, they won sort of 4-0 or something. He got, got a hat-trick. Hat yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I think certainly I'm, I'm not taking any risks with Mo Salah. You know, they've got home match against Burnley in the double game week. That could easily be a massive haul. So... Yeah, um, I certainly think in terms of targeting players, as we talked about earlier, De Bruyne is the player that I'd probably target. You know, Sterling looks like a great pick as well, obviously. But, you know, I can get in the defence as well by taking out Zuma because I want to get rid of him. So I don't need to worry about setting Robertson. I can keep Robertson as well for the double game week. Makes sense. I think the, the, the one that I'm really looking at is I'm probably going to keep Salah, to be honest. I, I mean... The underlying data is always such that he's worth keeping. I bought him at 12.2. He's 
He's now 12.6. That's, that's quite a hefty amount, hefty amount of um, investment in a, in a premium player. In a year, we haven't actually had that much pre- investment in premium players. But Robertson out to a City defender has crossed my mind in order to finance Grealish to Kevin De Bruyne. And I think that that is looking like something I will be doing in not very long. Um, I can actually Robertson to Stones and Grealish to De Bruyne. And then if things stay kind of remotely stable in the transfer market over the next few weeks and that may well be the simple way I do it that's just me I think that it's one of those things where do you think that Liverpool are going to be able to recover their form um Liverpool they've got Man United and Burnley um in game week 19 Spurs in the game week 20 21 22 a little bit better West Ham Brighton and then they've got Man City and Leicester I think that it's very hard to bet against Liverpool. I feel like it's one of those things with the last three game weeks, um, as has been very, very nicely pointed out um, this evening by Michael Cayley. They've just had a few games where things haven't quite worked out for them. They've worked, they've beaten, well, I could beat in inverted commas, uh, their, their opponent in terms of XG. Um, so the, the West Brom game, the score is 1-1, but the XG for Liverpool is 1.5, West Brom is 0.7. Newcastle versus Liverpool, that was 0-0. Um, XG was 1.7 for Liverpool, 0.7 for Newcastle. And tonight, 1.1 for Liverpool, 0.4 for Southampton. Of course, I was watching it and I knew that Mane, for example, his shot was scuffed straight into the arms of big Fraser Forster. But it's very difficult to bet against Liverpool. Um, and I think it's one of those that you'll need to make your own judgment on. I think the key is actually going to be looking at their defence. Um, and I think that maybe, as I mentioned, Robertson to Cancelo, who Mark sung the praises of, or Diaz, who I sung the praises of, uh, may actually be a bit of a solid uh, solution. So their fixtures are obviously incontrovertibly very, very nice. I think that's one of those things that, as I picked up a few weeks ago, uh, when I was talking about before when you've had double, or you could kind of overlook City. After the double game week, they've got West Brom, Sheffield United and Burnley. Three mm. very, very nice games before they head into Liverpool and Spurs and Arsenal, I guess. Uh, but Liverpool and Spurs, 23-24, which are going to be season-defining. For those three games, plus double game week, the next kind of five plus, and in fact, next six, if you include the... Uh, uh, include the blank. Those are very, very good games. Uh, I don't think we're you're going to see a payoff from holding out, and I think we're all going to end up kind of uh, going with the herd there. Unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, it's not very boring to be getting points after all. The uh, final question this week is captains. Nice segue into transfers and captains, of course. And Anish uh, simply asks Bruno or KDB captain. So uh, we were in a situation where. You've got the away king, Bruno, away, and the home king, Kevin De Bruyne, at home. What are we going to be doing? And uh, transfers is probably a bit of a moot subject this week because I'll be free-hitting, Mark will be free-hitting, but Nick won't be. So perhaps we should start with Nick because he's actually going to be doing some transfers. Uh, Nick, what are you doing here? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I'm, I'm probably going to get a couple of City guys in. It's, it's most likely going to be De Bruyne and Diaz that come in. So I'm, I'm getting rid of Zuma um, and bringing in Diaz. Um, that was the plan, anyway. Oh, poor Kurt, and... you won't be happy about that. I know. Uh, yeah, they've, they've been pretty dreadful defensively the last few weeks. I think he's got to go. And um, I'm selling Salah for De Bruyne if I don't free hit. If I free hit, then, um, you know, that's completely off the table anyway. But I'll be getting De Bruyne, other Manchester City assets in. 
Uh, and then, yeah, with the captain, it's probably going to be the same as you, Mark. It's going to be Bruno Fernandes. Um, I think, yeah, it's it's either Bruno or De Bruyne seem to be the two men, the two obvious captain picks, I think, for next week. But I think Bruno swings it for me. Looking at their stats, they're actually very, very similar in terms of the underlying stats. The only big stat that sticks out is the goals. And, and Bruno's got 11, De Bruyne's got three. So... That, that basically yeah. that basically swings it for me. He's been putting his chances away and De Bruyne hasn't. So I think it's got to be Bruno. Fair enough. That certainly makes sense. Mark, where, where, where are you on all this? Yeah, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with Nick. I'm, I'm going to go Bruno, I think. I mean, the only thing that sways me towards De Bruyne is, is Brighton's weakness at set plays. I think they keep showing week after week. They just can't handle crosses into the box and De Bruyne is going to be on everything and be putting that in. And it might be the game where DS finally gets a, an attack in return maybe as well on the end of a De Bruyne corner or something. So I think there's points for both of them. But I think, like Nick mentioned, Bruno's eye for goal has just been extraordinary this season. He's just found a way of of, yeah. of upping his performance even more from the lockdown uh, performances we saw. I didn't think it was possible, but we, you know, we looked on, on Black Box a few weeks back at just how Bruno has emerged as possibly the key hit, heavy hitter to own now. And he's, he's just not wavering at all. His form is just consistent. And so I'm going to go with him, I think. Do you think we've seen with Bruno Fernandes, uh, it's a question I've been itching to ask you for a long time. Do you think we've seen with Bruno the heir to Frank Lampard in terms of being an FPL asset? Yeah, I mean, I think he is just complete, isn't he? Because, you know, he, he, we knew the assists were there. We knew the set pieces were there. I didn't think he could be as potent from open play as he has mm. been this season. And I think when you when you add that to... And the thing is as well, when I look up and every time United attack, his intent to get in the box is what's really eye-catching. It's not... Yeah, it's the end product, he, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, he's not just lingering on the edge of the box. He is bombing it into the box to be on the end of things. Like, he is proper playing like a box-to-box midfielder which I didn't you know I thought he could be a number 10 he could end up being a number eight yeah, and play yeah. deeper but he's actually you know playing now like a box-to-box midfielder he's playing the role that we thought Pogba could play as in you know when when the ball's out wide get into the box and try and get on the end of it that's what Fernandez is doing he's got a couple of headers this year he's just yeah he's, he's just rounded himself off as an FBL asset to the point where he is close to that perfection that Lampard provided I think we've gone to the point now almost where he's starting to challenge Mo Salah on that pantheon of greatness, isn't he, a little bit. Um, for me to answer Anish's question, I'm going to be hitting, so I won't make any transfers. Uh, what we're doing is worrying about my captain all the way up until uh, the deadline. I think it's going to be between Bruno and Kevin De Bruyne and somebody else. Um, I, think, I think I will narrowly come down, actually, as it stands on the side of Man City. It's because of Bryson are quite a few things, uh, but one of them is uh, porous. They've got ridiculously good defensive stats, but has never borne out in the outcomes, which is absolutely incredible. The amount of times I've seen people saying Bryson are defensively solid versus, oh, hang on, they've conceded two goals from two chances. Absolutely incredible. As Marks mentioned, there's that susceptibility to set plays. Maybe you'll find that Kevin De Bruyne may do something. Maybe you'll find that even Sterling will do something. It's very difficult to, you know, overlook the 5% ownership for Sterling and think, oh, you know, it's free hit. I should properly attack this and go for somebody like that. 
as I've mentioned, I'd love to captain someone like Mares against Bryce. And I can imagine him just running riot randomly out the side, getting two goals and assists. But I think it's probably looking like somebody like a KDB or, or, or Sterling. I know Bruno's always there. He's like the assistant vice captain. He reminds me of Kane a few years ago when we always captain Salah, always vice Kane, because we knew that if Salah didn't play for whatever reason, that Kane would come through for us and Bruno's that guy I just I don't know I, it's definitely a tough one uh, to paraphrase Nick but I think I would be looking at KDB and Man City there yeah definitely very very tough I think that's your lot for this week oh yeah thanks uh, we were who got the assist thanks so much for listening don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and and thanks so much for coming on Mark my pleasure. I loved it. And um, apologies, it wasn't in a better game week for me where I could uh, boast a bit more. But unfortunately, <laughs> towel between my legs. So I just have to accept, take my medicine. But it was, a, it was a pleasure to go through the podcast experience with you, regardless of my miserable game week. Uh, it's, it's been very good having you on. Um, I think it's um, definitely been... I very rarely do syncophatic stuff, but I think in this case, um, it's one of those things that felt very surreal because Nick and I did the, you know, a few years before we started doing WGTA, we're listening to you and thinking, yeah, well, if we could ever have this guy on one day, that'd be incredible. So it's definitely been very surreal. I've definitely taken a screenshot of you on the pod with us, um, which I will, um, I won't frame it, but it's, it's, it's very nice to definitely have. And it's been really, really cool to do a podcast with you. Yeah. Um, just missed the game week score off the footnotes. Just <laughs> no, no. Um, just this one more thing um, as well. The correspondence, just make Anthony happy. Um, it is uh, who got this at gmail.com. Write in any gripes, theories, questions, addendums, poems, raps, songs, whatever. We've got a poem to play for you next week uh, by our friend Gav, uh, which we would definitely absolutely love. We will return for yet another quick turnaround pod up to Arsenal Palace on the 14th of January. There's only a 24-hour shelf life or so um, on that podcast, and it will be that way until the end of January. It seems to be that kind of that kind of thing going forward. We'll do our best to be there for you during that period. Uh, but nonetheless, we hope we assist you deal with the upcoming blank, and we're all off for a short break after an intense period of FPLing. Uh, farewell and speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye. All right, see you later, guys. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.